Welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where we bring you the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything to do with the Pilates industry to help you build your dreams and your businesses right now. Good morning, everyone. My name is Glenn Withers. I'm one of the founders of the Australian Physiotherapy and Pilates Institute, and it is my pleasure on behalf of myself, Elisa, and the whole APPI team to bring you another episode of Pilates 101. Thank you again for joining me, and I hope that you have been enjoying the previous podcast as well. If you're new to us, welcome. Thank you very much. Um, and to those of you that are listening right around the world as we know it now, um, I greatly appreciate your time in having a listen to our little podcast here. Um, this month, I'm super excited. Uh, we've got a fantastic guest for you this month. This month, we're going to be talking to an elite athlete. And uh, by elite athlete, I mean in the true meaning or definition of elite athlete. I am talking to Hannah Miley. Hannah Miley is a great British swimmer. She is an Olympian, a European medalist, Commonwealth Games champion. She specializes in the individual medley and having represented Team GB at no less than three Olympic Games in Beijing in 2008, London 2012, and her last games in Rio in 2016. Now, as Hannah will talk to you as we go through the interview here, the reason that we wanted to get Hannah on the podcast here is that Hannah is also now a fully qualified Pilates teacher and is going through the process, if you like, of setting up the next phase of her career, having now transitioned from swimming. And it's interesting for me to talk to somebody that functions at such a high level for such a long time about how restructuring her, her thought processes and her expectations now working with a different population that maybe don't have that same individual focus that you need in order to get to such a high level within your sport. I go back and talk get Hannah to talk through her career. I, uh, we touch on her experiences of Pilates throughout her career, what it was like as a 14-year-old first getting introduced to Pilates, and then how it helped her career and the longevity in her career as well. And one of the other things that we were keen to talk to Hannah about was also the concept of goal setting. And as an elite athlete, as a three-time Olympian, goal setting was obviously a huge part of her life. Now, we use goal setting with our clients when we bring them into a Pilates program at our clinics and our centers. And so I was interested to hear Hannah's view of goal setting and its importance for her and how she's been able to sort of bring that into her role as a Pilates instructor as well. So it's all about Hannah. It's all about her story. And it's all about how Pilates links with elite athletic performance. I'll hand you over now to the interview that I've done with Hannah Miley. I'll see you afterwards. Okay, everyone. Well, as promised, we have a very special treat on Pilates 101 this month. I am delighted to be joined by Hannah Miley, who's probably the most esteemed guest that we've actually had on the podcast so far. I'll probably embarrass Hannah by doing the whole, you know, you're amazing before we've even had a chance to speak. Um, but for those of you that... Uh, are not familiar with with Hannah. Um, you're not obviously swimmers, by the way, if that's the case, because if you are, you should be. Hannah Miley is an Olympian, a European medalist, Commonwealth champion as well. She's been to three Olympic Games, representing GB in the individual medley at the 2008, 2012 and 2016 
medals. She also co-hosts her own podcast, Honest Athletes Podcast, which sounds very cool. So we can hear a bit more about that as well. And more recently, Hannah has trained as a Pilates teacher. So we thought it'd be cool to chat to Hannah about her journey, how Pilates has impacted both as an athlete and now as a Pilates teacher. Hannah, a very big welcome to us here at Pilates 101. Thank you for being here. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. That's our pleasure. Well, look, Anna, why not? I've given you a, a sort of a brief CV there, but as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I, I pulled up your Wikipedia page and it went for about two screens of all the medals and everything you've won. Um, so why don't you give us that sort of elevator bio brief of sort of who you are, what you've been doing and, and where we are right now? Um, so I'm very pleased that you actually got the, the right Wikipedia page. The amount of people that end up with Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus is uh, it's a pretty <laughs> it say that. It said, When I looked at it at the top in small writing, it said not to be confused with. I know, it's crazy that. Um, I had the name first as well. Um, so, yeah, I am a swimmer splashed around for a living. Um, I actually recently retired from competitive swimming, so I'm classing myself as a swammer. Um, and yeah, my career has just, you know, gone on from, you know, learning to swim as a young three-year-old right up until the age of 31 when I retired. Um, so it spanned over 17 years of international competitive swimming and anything and everything you can think of has happened to me in my sport. Uh, I've been very lucky and privileged to have represented GB at three Olympics, uh, Team Scotland for four Commonwealth Games. Um, and yeah, it's allowed me to travel the world, meet some incredible people. And since retiring, I still have a passion for sport, but I love body movement. Um, for me, I kind of, if I was to give myself like a little quote to describe the type of person that I am, I say I'm a part-time puppy trainer, full-time body movement enthusiast. Um, and as you probably heard there in the intro, my two dogs, apologies, got very excited and also wanted to join in uh, with a little bark. But um, I use my dogs as well as a little bit of therapy and self-reflective practice as well, uh, teaching them different tricks, but also how I apply my training with them, actually looking back to how I could best apply training for myself. Um, so, yeah, so I'm really kind of open minded and just learning as I go, growing and developing into this new chapter that I'm in. Um, uh, and yeah, and hopefully <laughs> I'm trying to work out if there's anything else without going into a big, long essay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, let me let me uh, sort of uh, start our conversation on your journey, because there's a couple of things that I'm really keen to sort of explore with you. And one is I want to just explore a little bit about what your experience has been like as an elite athlete from when you sort of came into the elite athlete program and from a sort of movement education approach, whether there was much there or not, um, when Pilates or movement came into your sort of consciousness as a young athlete or not, or if it wasn't there, just yep. to sort of get an understanding on that side. Um, so yeah. when you look back at so sort of your the early part of your career, so we're sort of you know, talking not 2012, but everything that sort of led up to you being at the mm -hmm. Olympics in 2012, what is it like? here in the UK with Scotland, with the GB team, was there much or not? How did that evolve as your career developed? Um, it's, it's kind of evolved and even the governing body itself has evolved. So for me, that was British swimming and Scottish swimming. They both uh, would track, you know, talented up and coming athletes. And I think to get a sense of 
the type of personality I think an individual needs or should have when it comes to an elite athlete. Um, it requires, you know, I guess a certain amount of qualities and values. Um, it's all well and good being, you know, a really quick swimmer, but at the same time, you know, there's certain work ethic behind it. And that's what's allowed me to get to where I was and the sort of different levels of progress. Um, so I'll kind of take you back to probably about the age of four. So okay. obviously I wasn't an elite athlete at the age of four, but um, just so you have a rough idea of what my personality type is and how that actually benefited me to being an elite athlete. My mom and dad had, you know, a little sort of get together. People were coming over to the house. And if anybody owns a cat, they have this habit that if you've got a low sitting coffee table or food or drink, they like to either knock it off the table or dip their tail across it. It's almost like you can't enjoy the food or drink without their presence being felt, whether it's leaving fur on the food or drink or knocking it off and spoiling it. And we at the time had a fluffy farm cat called Bruce. He was a moggy, really big feather duster type tail. And he just wanted to dip his tail across all the food, all the biscuits, the sandwiches, the drinks and everything, just to let people know that he was there. Um, so he started to get under everyone's feet and my dad was getting a little bit frustrated. So he says, Hannah, could you just kick the cat out? He's getting under everyone's feet. Thought, no bother. Little me goes over, picks up Bruce. And Bruce is quite a big cat. And I toddle over to the back door, open the back door. My right leg swings back, comes forward, makes contact with Bruce and he flies out the back door. Um, <laughs> I got into a lot of trouble for that. <laughs> and through my tears, it was, put his head to kick the cat out. Um, my dad realized actually I'm quite a literal person. So yes, <laughs> be very careful what you tell me. Um, so for me as an athlete, it was great because I was very good at doing what I was told. My dad was my swimming coach and he was a volunteer coach to start with, had been involved in swimming long before I came along. Um, but he was actually a helicopter pilot. So for us, that sort of partnership that we had together was really beneficial in teaching a bit about respect as well um because he had to trust that if he left a training program i would take it and actually go do it because it was very straightforward you know it's very easy for me to just sit there and go you know what i could just say i've done it and not actually do it but my mindset was well if that's the case my rival will then have one up on me my rival will have done a session and so for me it was very easy to just get on and do it because i was so so competitive and very literal and, um, and yeah, it just kind of grew from there. Um, when I was about 13, I started getting a little bit of a shoulder niggle, just something that was kind of nipping away a little bit. Uh, it was my left shoulder. And that was when I got introduced to Alison Phantom. And for me, she was pretty much like my fairy godmother. And she was my physio who worked with me. And um, from there, I started doing Pilates classes because she realized as a swimmer, you're in a medium that keeps you horizontal you're not really working with or against gravity you're in a medium that takes that away a little bit so it's a very obscure and strange sport <laughs> um i'm quite hypermobile hyper as well like my elbows bend the wrong way quite significantly same with my knees so it meant that my control and range of movement through my joints was quite marked um which was obviously putting a bit of strain on some of the tendons so my physio recommended that I would, you know, should start doing Pilates from about the age of 14. And there was a couple of other swimmers in the region that were also looking to do Pilates classes. And we did it. We did a swimmer specific Pilates session. And I loved it because I'm not a big swimmer. Uh, I'm only five foot five. Um, and at the sort of like peak as well of my career, I weighed about 53 kilos. So I was kind of considered 
I think the nicknames I had were Sticky, Pinky, Whitey, Scrawny, um, Freckles, McSpeckles. You know, it was just kind of all these different types of names that never really made me sound like Amazonian or Gladiator type. <laughs> so what I lacked in, um, <coughs> excuse me, height and size, I made up for in sheer determination heart so I kind of uh, was nicknamed the Jack Russell a couple of times okay. because I was you know quite small but terrorizing as well so a little bit unassuming but well, as soon as you add me into water I was you know <laughs> I was getting through that water regardless if you were in my way or not so for me that whole kind of setup um being a little bit different um supporting my body through body movement because I didn't have the strength and power that some of these bigger athletes my age would have I made up for in technical ability and control. Um, and that's where Pilates really supported me. Um, 16, 17, I started the strength and conditioning program. And I always viewed my Pilates as the glue that held the swimming and the strength work together. Um, and again, you know, I wasn't lifting like super heavyweights, but I wanted to move it well to make sure that I minimized injury. And, you know, as my career kind of progressed. You get like the odd little niggles every now and then, but I was so well supported by my physio. As I say, Alison Phantom was like my fairy godmother. I don't, I, she held me together for, you know, a good you know, 15 years of my career. It was pretty, pretty incredible. But the support that I had through the body movements, working on pre-pull before I get in the water, activating muscles, getting that range in flexibility, but with control. Um, it was, you know, really quite key. So when I stepped onto the elite level and representing Great Britain, representing Team Scotland, like all those components, it was already ingrained and instilled into me. So doing that planned pre-pool workout, I already knew what I needed to do because I had a lot of my Pilates exercises and the physical work to help me with that. And I'm quite proud that I pretty much stayed injury free up until sort of around 2018 until 2021. That was kind of where I had quite a couple of significant injuries, but you could probably say maybe age and a bit of wear and tear kind of came in for me on that side. But there was nothing really significant that kept me out of the water. So I was able to train actually quite frequently. I was very lucky and grateful for my physio, actually, Alison, introducing me to Pilates because I do owe a lot to um, sort of my robustness in sport through that. Um, but yeah, you know, being on that elite level, you're kind of almost like in a bubble. Um, it feels very surreal because it, it is pretty much eat, sleep, train, repeat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was waking up, you know, training was starting at half five in the morning. So I was getting up about half four in the morning, doing a two, two and a half hour training session, then going straight into the gym, coming back for second breakfast, having a nap, and then going back into, you know, the session again for a second swim session. Um, so I think I was training between 25 to 32 hours a week um depending on the different phase in the season I was in so it was you know pretty much like a full-time job for me um and especially once I finished school I could just fully commit into uh into that kind of elite program um and yeah and it, and it was just became a lifestyle for me like I very selfish <laughs> everything I did I had to basically do it for this the fact of swimming so when I met my now husband um bless him it we've been together for 10 years but probably only actually ever seen each other for maybe three of those years because <laughs> <laughs> we my priority was my swimming um and he really respected that and I think that's one of the reasons why our relationship is as strong as it is because I think he you know I pretty much threw him in at the deep end no pun intended with what my life was like as an elite athlete yeah. and that's the thing a lot of people will see the successes the gold medals and all that but the roller coaster and the highs and the lows that happen behind the screen 
not many people get to see. So as I say, from 2018 to 2021, I had quite a few significant injuries, COVID. Like it was a really, really rough time as an elite athlete coming to the decision as well to retire as well was also pretty tough. Um, And then there were some days like winter, winter in Scotland, dark a lot. (laughs) You wake up in the morning and it's Baltic and you just don't want to get out of bed at half four in the morning. So, you know, there's days where you're not necessarily on the ball, energized, ready to go you get days where it's a bit of a slump and it's really, really hard. So having goals, having like a passion and a drive really helped me get out of bed and also a routine as well. And since actually retiring, I need to stop saying the word retire, transitioned away from uh, competitive swimming. Um, It's actually the routine side that I've missed. So having to add in and create a routine for myself actually allows me to be a bit more effective uh, and motivated to do things. But I just, I loved swimming and I still do, still feel very, very passionate about it. And the elite side was, you know, everything was down to the minute details, your nutrition, how much sleep you needed, the extra naps, which was amazing that you could get during the day, all because you had to get the quality out of your training. And it was that range of getting the quality over quantity. Um, Yes, you had to train quite frequently, but it had to be with a purpose. There's a phrase called garbage yardage. Um, I would swim sometimes up to 70 kilometers a week, um, which is a lot of tumble turns. (laughs) And, um, you know, it it had to be specific. I wasn't just swimming for the sake of just getting the miles in. It was, you know, art was pretty particular in trying to, you know, get those little marginal gains. Um, As a junior swimmer, you can actually uh, improve your time quite significantly. Uh, I remember swimming a race and you look at the scoreboard and all of a sudden it's like, oh, 10 seconds faster than what I'd done before like the time drops were huge Mm -hmm. and then you get to a stage where you're like oh I'm within 10 seconds of my time that's great yeah (laughs) trying to improve your time becomes so marginal and it's you know as I say my event is only four and a half minutes long but you know it takes 25 to 32 hours a week to train for those four and a half minutes yeah so it's brutal brutal sport but one that I'm very proud of and very lucky to have been part of for so long as well. Yeah, and have done amazingly, amazingly well. Um, look, there's a, a number of things that you've just touched on. I'm going to bring us back to a couple of interesting things that I want to talk about in a moment, talking about, for example, somebody that has a level of expectation and striving for that perfection and how you transition that to actually teaching Pilates, which can also ask for a lot of perfection and precision in its movement, but often normal people, normal people, non-elite athletes uh, uh, are not able to achieve that. So I, I, in a moment, I'm going to draw us back to how somebody that operates at such a high level can sort of teach to others that maybe don't achieve that same high level and what sort of a challenge that might be. But I, before we get there, I want to just strip back to, as a, and this might be hard for you to recall, but as a 14-year-old, being consumed by swimming and having high aspirations for where you want to go and taking that into this, this thing called Pilates and doing a Pilates class at that age. Um, I've been to a, a number of Premier League football clubs and had to try and put programs into their academies. And you've got, you know, these 13, 14, 15 year old boys and it, it can be somewhat challenging to get any sort of focus or any sort of commitment to this, um, you know, I made a fatal mistake in <clears throat> one of the very first things I went in thinking I'll make this functional and bring a football in, which was a big mistake <laughs> because there was, 
there was chaos as soon as that came in. But what can you recall at all? I mean, your Pilates is often so different to a lot of what you've been doing. You know, can you recall at all what you thought of it originally? Did you think this was beneficial? Did you think this is a bit of waste of time? Did you think I just want to get back in the pool? Can you recall what you were thinking when this was introduced for you? Um, I remember thinking when Alison showed me a couple of exercises and she demonstrated them for me. And I remember looking at it being like, that doesn't look like much. Yeah. That, that, that doesn't look like it's going to do anything. And then she just went, try it. <laughs> and yeah. I tried it. One of the hardest things I'd ever done. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> I was like a whole new level of respect for my physio being like, okay, that's a lot harder than I actually anticipated. But <laughs> I just actually had a flashback of a memory when you're talking about working with the young football lads. So the, the group of swimmers that were, um, there was myself, Kerry Buchan, Robbie Rennick, Ranul Faulkner. So it was five of us, um, two boys, three, um, yeah, two, two, hang on, my maths. Myself, Kerry, Robbie, Ran, yeah, so four of us. Myself, two girls and two boys. And um, three boys, my maths, apologies, my brain's gone all over the place. Two girls, three boys. Anyway, numbers doesn't matter, but we were doing, um, using the Swiss ball or the, um, yeah, uh, the big block, the big ball, and out in the plank position, and then basically shoulders set, long spine, taking that breath, and then just gently lifting one hand off out into the streamlined position, staying balanced without rolling over. And we were all in the line doing this, and we had one swimmer. Um, I won't name which one it is. Who <laughs> he he, he kind of you know he got bored a little bit quickly, and he was always a little bit of. You know, just trying to be a little bit of a joker. Alison went over to the corner of the room to try and, you know, put some music on to try and get, you know, a little bit of background noise so that it wasn't just the silence of the, the room. And the swimmer found the mini ball, just one in the corner. And uh, everybody was all lined up, looking lovely. And he grabbed this mini ball, lobs it at one of the swimmers, who falls off, knocks into the next one. And it was a, just a big, long concertina. <laughs> they all fell off. Alison turns around. He is the only one then on the ball doing the exercise because everyone else is on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, that for me always stands out as a really fun memory. Um, But I think it was just the way that Alison was as a person. I think the way that she captured us, you know, there was no messing with Alison, but she explained it really well that, you know, this is going to help you move in this way. It's going to help you prevent an injury. So the explanation as to why we were doing the exercises actually helped um and every now and then when you think this is you know becoming really easy or too boring she would always throw in an exercise to kind of almost ground you Mm -hmm. (laughs) um keep you aware of okay you know it is quite tough it is quite challenging she did use quite a few bits of equipment therabands were quite a big one for that resistance because again you could see the progression if you moved up different resistances different range so seeing that progression week on week was helpful because then you could feel and see oh, there is progress happening. Um, And she did keep it quite varied. So, you know, there'll be certain exercises that were kind of repeated with the different variations and the progressions, but also it would be quite fresh and new. Um, And she had a great visualization sort of bank. So some of the bits that she would explain, you could really tap into just visualizing it, which would help your posture, help your just that internal sort of um, eye that you've got when you're doing that visualization and then trying to apply it to your body was so, so helpful. Um, So for me, I guess, because I was quite literal, I was good doing what I was told, but I just loved how it connected me and actually made a lot of sense for Mm -hmm. swimming. Um, 
So working with other sports and even I've found working with maybe some of the younger athletes, I have noted trying to do some of the exercises and they're just like, this is easy. Mm-hmm. This is boring. Um, you know, and I always remind, you know, the likes of David Beckham, he's able to do it. So, you know, if someone at that level as well can, uh, you know, get benefit and enjoy Pilates, then surely, you know, it, it's not just something for, for women, you know, it can be for boys and for men. So it did help actually. And especially having both um, the sort of three lads in that group when I was younger, uh, I think, you know, was, was good. And we were all really competitive too. That was the only downside with it. And Alison was great at reining us in because some were more capable of doing a move. And then it's like, oh, well, if they're doing it, I've got to do it. And, you, yeah. you know, screw um, the quality of the movement. I want to do it that level, yeah. <laughs> regardless of whether, you know, you're working yeah. through your, your lower back or, you know, you're rounding your shoulders a, mo- a lot more because that tends to be a swimmer thing and not connecting with your center. Um, so, yeah, so Alison was great at being able yeah. to get that balance in. And I definitely think it was a combination of things. Um, I'm pretty sure if I was to watch a video back, there might be a couple of bits that I, I'd pick up now because I'm aware of it, but maybe at the time I didn't, um, yeah. it is a little bit hard to try and think back to when I was 14. Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. It. Yeah. Interesting. There's a, a couple of things that, um, a, again, you, you've touched on there that, that maybe now as a Pilates teacher, you can sort of look back and, and realize and i found it really interesting because in in our teacher training we talk about getting people to understand why they're doing the exercise is just as crucial as how you're teaching the exercise and you touched on that there that Alison was very good at giving you the why and how this exercise links to your performance um mm-hmm. and and I, I think from a Pilates teaching point of view you know whether that's you as an elite swimmer or somebody learning to walk again after a stroke or somebody just trying to rehab themselves after a back injury or just you know, learn to move a little bit more, um, taking that, that little bit of time in our teaching to get somebody to understand why this exercise will make a difference for them uh, you know, can be really vital. And to hear that from somebody that is operating at such a level from you, I find, I find quite, quite fascinating. Um, do you take some of that into your teaching now? Do you incorporate that into that concept of, of teaching others? Yeah, I do, because I know the value for it and how it helped benefit me. And I do think it helps explain a lot of the reasoning behind the exercises rather than, oh, it's just a string of exercises because it yeah. flowed really well. It's like, well, no, actually, there's purpose behind it. So each session, I want them to go away feeling like, They've worked the areas knowing, right, okay, the next time I'm going to, you know, move a bit better, it's because that exercise has helped. Or, you know, I'm going to pick up, you know, my grandchild, or I'm going to pick up my child, and I can do that in a more effective and safe way. Um, and then hopefully they might see that feels a lot easier, or I can, you know, not have to think about, oh, my back's going, or, you know, it, it definitely does make a big difference. And I have noted a lot of, uh, and it helps me connect better, I think, with the yeah. participants. That connection as well is really good because it just all adds into that flow, the participation of it, uh, because if they feel like they're involved in that sort of little community in the room, you know, it's that safe space. They can then really relax into it. They can then really allow that flow to happen. Um, And the one thing as well that I do have to keep reminding myself is the word patience, um, because everybody, I do find we're in a, we're in a world where we are, pretty impatient and when we're yeah and as an elite athlete as well I am really impatient too and it's more with yourself because you think 
especially transitioning. I used to be able to do X, Y, and Z movement wise. And now because I've not been doing it regularly, I'm not at that same level. And I think, oh, I can just jump straight back up. It's like, you know, I've got to build myself back up. And I'm like, yeah. oh, it's going to ages. I just want to get back up there. And sometimes you see that with people in there. They're like, oh, but I can see them doing that. I just want to jump in. So it's always trying to remind them that patience as well within it. And that connection, I think, that you have with your participants helps them understand that patience and then makes it feel a bit easier to be patient as well because then they feel they're actually getting something out of the session rather than just, oh, well, I'm not the best at it, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm sure you probably agree that having <clears throat> had injuries and having gone through the process of Pilates helping you in terms of your performance and how that impacted on your life, having had that experience of what it can do can help so much when trying to help others to understand the process as well, right? Yeah, exactly. It's always a small building blocks. I, as I mentioned, you know, Pilates was the glue that held for me swimming and uh, strength and conditioning, but especially during injury, I find, you know, if you're building a house, yes, you've got the building blocks. But for me, Pilates was the cement that kept the bricks together. You know, and that cement needs to be good quality for it to be a sturdy structure. And you need the foundation as well, um, because the foundation is just as important as the final house. Um, so, yeah, it definitely gives you that little goal of you can do something, even though it might not feel like you're sweating and getting the burn, but mm. you're moving. And that in itself can help because it's an emotional roller coaster as well, going through rehab and injury. You have yeah. good days, you have days where it, it can just feel a bit crap. <laughs> you know, you can see a little bit of maybe regression in some of the progress. And it is, it really is very much a roller coaster. And that emotional journey as well is is really hard to deal with. So the consistency that Pilates can give you, no matter how big or how small the program is, it gives your body that chance to work towards something and keeps it moving in a way that allows your mind to relax and just focus on the little details. And actually over time, those details become a little bit bigger, more secure, more safe, so that when you do bigger moves, it's it, it's better. Um, yeah. it makes sense. I apologize, I do kind of, I've got the gift no, of the no, that is, and you've actually, again, you, you've but. given me a perfect segue to my next question. And you touched on it a little bit earlier in the, in you were talking about the group. And having worked quite a lot uh, in elite sport over the last sort of two decades as well, one of the things that I talk to a lot of Pilates teachers about is my experience with a lot of Pilates teachers going into elite sport is the perception is that you guys all work at such a high level. Therefore, the exercises we give you should be at that high level, where in actual fact, you may well, and I'm, I'm not saying you specifically, but my experience with elite athletes is actually it's those very lower level control exercises that actually you're lacking and you need more help with and actually you're probably very good at the higher level exercises but you're doing that because you're compensating through all sorts of other issues and larger muscle groups rather than the joint control groups that's why you get your injuries and because you're everyone sort of you know uh not everyone but often people at such a high level, everyone wants to please you and they want to work with you and do the stuff you want rather than necessarily as, a, and as an instructor and as a physio or whoever doing the stuff your body needs. Was that something that, like, you saw? And obviously it sounds like Alison was brilliant at getting you to understand that. Um, you know, is that something that you saw or now you mentioned earlier you're working with younger swimmers? Are you seeing that 
connection? Yeah. How did you how did you deal with it, or do you deal with it? What's your view on this concept that many elite athletes function at such a high level that people teaching their movement go in and give them that high level stuff, whereas actually they probably need the same stuff that you know Joe Blow down the street is doing because they need to walk again. Yeah, exactly. Um, just trying to kind of process in my brain how to explain it, but it, it, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I think the best way to describe it is elite athletes, all, putting it simply, we're just glorified entertainers. Right. If you think, you know, you people come to watch us perform. People mm -hmm. come to watch, it's a spectacle. So in reality, we are just glorified entertainers. So you do get a little bit of smoke blown up the arse kind of, you know, side. And some athletes have maybe a bit of a, an ego and a bigger headspace. Um, but, you know, when you realize that, you know, everyone feels like they need to show off, need to do the coolest thing, something that's different and obscure. And yes, there's some bits that kind of fall into that. For me, um, something as simple as floating. So about you saying about taking it back, uh, one of the key elements I actually always practiced was the ability to float. And it's something that as a youngster, when you're going through the Learn to Swim program, you do as a kid, you know, you star float, float on your back, float on your front. But I don't see any of the senior athletes or the elite athletes actually with that ability to do that. And it was something that I kind of prided myself in, that I always kept that ability because for me, I could use my center. It allowed me to connect with my Pilates. I could switch it on. And if I let go and didn't activate my center, my legs would drop. Because ultimately in swimming, you want to stay at the surface. Mm -hmm. You need to be buoyant and also you need to be efficient. It's all about that efficiency. So if I can keep myself at the surface, because I want to swim as fast as I can, but with as little effort as possible. Because <laughs> if yeah. I work hard, you can work yeah. smarter. Yeah. Um, and and for me, that kind of element of taking it back to basics is really fascinating. And especially going through like teenagers, um, when they go through growth spurts, I find if you get them floating, you get one swimmer who can maybe master the ability to float, but then they go through a growth spurt and actually really struggle because their center point and where they actually activate their centers change because their legs have gotten longer or their arms have gotten longer. So that balance of them going into streamline or that pencil point on the surface of the water changes. So then again, it's taking them back, being able to reactivate, getting that awareness back and building that um, ability and strength through it. Um, and yeah, and it is taking it back to basics can be so, so hard because we're so used to pushing ourselves to the point where you feel physically and emotionally exhausted. Um, and that's not to say you can't get that from Pilates. I've had some sessions where I have been physically and emotionally exhausted, but it, it, it's a different kind of sense. It's like a really whole body experience without like that burning and pain sensation that you get maybe if you do it in the gym. Um, you know you kind of actively feel, okay, my muscles are working, let them recover. But trying to get athletes to actually go back to the basics is very difficult because there's that mindset of being like, well, no, I need to be ahead of the game. I need to be ahead of that next person because I've got to win. I've got to do it better than everybody else. Why go to level one when I should be at level 10? Yeah. But as I say, going back to building that house, you know, it's all well and good sticking a really nicely built house, but if it's got no foundations, it's going to crumble and fall apart. So yeah. it's all about injury prevention. So whenever I teach or work with um, young athletes, I always specify that, Pilates is about preventing injuries so that you can get longevity out of your sport. I was able to compete for 17 plus years in my sport at a really high level, 
all bar the maybe last three years of my career were hampered with injury, but the majority of it, I was, you know, relatively injury free. And I do owe a lot of that to Pilates. So I always try and get that message out there, but it is the mindset of an athlete can be very stubborn. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, well, uh, tell me one of the other things, and it's in, I guess it touches on the longevity of your career as well. Um, and you mentioned <clears throat> the hypermobility that that you have, and and you know hypermobility is um, in a very good way becoming more understood in the wider community. And Pilates has an important role to play in managing hypermobility. Um, do you now, like, do you have a connection in relation to seeing the link between Pilates and your hypermobility and being longevity of your sport? And are you able to sort of uh, reorganise that in a way to do any teaching from a hypermobility point of view with the swimmers? Or is that something that is picked up and then they're sent to you for Pilates? Is there any connection that's been made on that side um little bits but not as much it's quite a strange one in swimming because if anything swimmers are really tight right. <laughs> like we are very stuck upper body wise so for me my upper back and my upper back mobility is something that I'm still working on to this day because if you're swimming on your front you're thinking of the muscle groups that propel you forwards creates that roundness because yeah you know, all about that rotation and everything's very rounded. So it's very rare that you kind of get that open out and keeping it in that open position because hydrodynamics being flat and open is not as um, hydrodynamic as say being slightly rounded because it creates an easier structure to go through the water efficiently. But the downside to that is that roundedness creates pinching points at the front of the shoulder. You think about, you know, I take about... Oh, something like 42 strokes for one length and in a swim session I could do up to 280 lengths and if I you know if you <laughs> do the math that's a lot of rotations that you're doing around your shoulders and your joints um so that that sort of wear and tear can happen quite frequently so kind of going back to the point with that hypermobility um not every athlete has it so I know in the squad that I used to train in, I probably know of maybe three out of maybe the 12 athletes that I've got hypermobility. Uh, one of which um, she is a ballet dancer. Um, so she does a little bit of ballet. So she does have good control over her movement and she's got that sort of poise and strength behind it. One lad, um, he's just got very, very strange knees. Okay. <laughs> like when he starts, Great, they just bow backwards and he has no arches. I mean, I thought I had flat feet, but his footprint is a rectangle. Okay. <laughs> so you know, he's got quite a lot of little bits. <clears throat> so it's all about trying to have that thought process. So for me, it's about instilling the principles of Pilates when they do the sessions. So they don't necessarily come to me as such. It's something that I spot and it is something that I am trying to get promoted through. Um, that, you know, if you do spot hypermobility, you know, trying to build in that strength and awareness because if they put their arm out straight, like for me, because my elbow bends the wrong yeah. way, I think I'm straight, but actually it's veering off to the left mm -hmm. <laughs> because of the way that my elbow is bent. So I actually have to consciously think and be precise with it. And that's where the Pilates principles helped massively. So doing the classes, yes, um, I do see it, but I haven't worked with them as often. And it is something that I would recommend if somebody comes to me saying I'm hypermobile, I'm really struggling in the gym or I'm, you know, I'm getting a lot of repetitive injuries. 
is something that I do recommend doing is that Pilates because I think you need that precision in the movement and that awareness of where your range is um, yeah, because if true. as I say put my arm out straight I think it's straight and it's not yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. so I actually have to think consciously think about it um, and you know and when you're in an activity or a sport you don't want to think you just want to feel and do so that's the whole point of training in America they call it practice because you are practicing what you need to do. And I think I, I love that phrase practice. So the athletes need to practice the movements and it's that continuity, consistency and quality of the movement. Mm. Um, I hope that makes sense. It's kind of a... Oh, it does. Yeah, it does. I think it's, yeah. yeah. And you, I mean, it's interesting because you're talking about swimming in the same words that many people would talk about you know, Pilates and your Pilates practice. And it is about making you more efficient in the way that you move. And it's not necessarily about... You know, being the biggest or the strongest, but it's about being more intelligent in the way you move. So I can see the the correlation in the way that you speak. What brought you to actually doing your teacher training then? What 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 took you there? You, I think you mentioned sort of three years ago or, or so, two three years ago, you you did the training with Michael. Yeah, so I think it was just more the values <clears throat> I. Of value and what my physio Alison because she uh, retired um, just after 2016 and I did get ended up working with another physio Laura Patterson she does a lot of work on the reformer which I absolutely love and okay. um, uh, it's one of my dreams to actually get onto like the reformer qualify uh, qualification but um, I think it was just the values of what I saw and who they were as individuals I really respected that and I saw a lot of the values as you said in Pilates is very similar to in swimming so for me that sort of sense of identity kind of allowed me to keep that and I always thought you know it'd be really quite nice to do something a little bit different a lot of people think when you transition away from sport you just go into coaching and I'm like kind of seems like the easy option uh, whereas for me, Pilates actually gave me that option to work with the athletes, not just in the water, but on land as well, which for me, I absolutely loved, it, you know, kept the values. All the principles for me are values that were really key in swimming. And I just felt, you know, it, it gave me something else other than just being a swim coach. Um, it allowed me to work with a lot of younger athletes as well. So I can hopefully instill that pathway of, you know, Pilates is great it's awesome yeah. get involved in it <laughs> um, and just sort of give them that introduction to it it's because I I guess it was just a gap in the market for what I saw up where I am there are some yeah. awesome Pilates instructors um, and a lot I think are really good and beneficial for the general population but for me you know I kind of actually saw the value for that sport specific uh, side yeah. for me. and I think it's just about kind of I guess breaking the barriers a little bit with actually being sport specific with it mm -hmm. um more for breaking the barriers i've got huge passion for female health and trying to you know instill movement and part of the workshops that i do around female health i actually do a, a you know a, a taster pilates session okay. so whether it's girls that are in sport or not you know i use that to actually tie in with you know when you're on your your cycle or when you're on your period it's a great way to get the body moving you know it's a great way to help your body just for me you know you yeah, excuse me i can't get the words out for your well-being and mindset um you know when your hormones are at their lowest it's a really great way to just get the body to move you know you might not want to maybe move off the sofa or you feel a bit rubbish but just a couple of these exercises will be so helpful to get you moving and i just love the freedom and flexibility of what you could do with the pilates i thought you know if i don't do it now 
I'll just procrastinate and never actually end up doing it. <laughs> okay. And my uh, physio, Alison, always said, she says, you know, you should get it. You should do your Pilates training and, um, you know, it'd be really beneficial because she's like, you can take it to wherever you want to take it. Yeah. It was right. So it's, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Well done on, on actually making that that move and putting yourself out there, I guess, again, to go from you know, the pinnacle of your sport to then going back and, I guess, being a student and learning something yeah. again. Um, that's an interesting interesting process. So let me um, just ask you, in a, in a moment, I'd like to sort of touch on the, the goal-setting side of your life and then tra- linking that to Pilates as sort of the final part of what we talk about. But just what you were mentioning there, how's, how have you found the perception of you as an elite athlete now teaching Pilates, taking that back into the elite sporting environment? Are they open to you? Is there many barriers that you're finding you have to break down? How open, I guess, have you found your environment to this concept of you wanting to bring Pilates into it? It's been quite open. The only barrier I have is finding space and finding um, a, a room hire that's not going to cost an absolute fortune. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's kind of the one barrier that I have struggled with. And then as well, it's making sure that if the elite athletes do take on the classes, it's making sure that it's not adding an extra load to their program if they're already really busy because it's being able to balance it. Uh, I always kind of view it as, you know, you've got a table, you've got all the key components on the table, but if the table's really full, try and put something else on, something's going to fall off to make room for it. So for a lot of these youngsters, you know, they'll have the set number of training sessions that they're doing. They'll have maybe other sporting activities or after school clubs that they'll go to. They'll maybe have, you know, homework and exams. And the last thing I want to do is then have them come to a Pilates session and it becomes more exhausting. So it's trying to find a balance that, you know, they're keen for it, but it's not something that they're then adding onto an already busy plate. It's being able to have a conversation with them of saying, right, we need to get this balance right so that you get the most out of it um, and making them aware of it as well. Cause sometimes more is not necessarily good. It's making yeah. sure it's the quality of it. Um, so I, you know, trying to get them in a way that it's, you know, easy enough uh, that, you know, as I say, it's going to be more beneficial. Um, so, yeah, so it's been a little bit more challenging, um, but it, working with as well some of the one-to-one swim clinics that I do I offer like technical sessions in like a flume and a lot of the common recurring issues I do find is that upper back stiffness mm-hmm. not being able to float so they don't have that connection through the core and I do suggest you know being able to get you know if they can get access to a Pilates session or if I'm able to you know set up something it'd be great it could help and they're all for it which is awesome so for me it's just time and availability because there's other stuff happening within my life and I'd love to be able to spend a bit more time with it but I'm here there and everywhere and I'd rather do it in person online is great and helpful but for a lot of these youngsters I need to be there to make sure they're getting the understanding and I wouldn't do it online unless it was somebody who was competent in their moves and older I think because I think they would have a understanding with it I think the age is a key part of that as well. I've got to agree completely with you there. Online has a has a place, but it's certainly not what Pilates was intended. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's, and I won't take too much of your time because I, I you've been very generous with us, so thank you. Um, but one of the things we wanted to touch on here um, was this concept around goal setting, and obviously for you to achieve what you've achieved in life, setting goals must have been a fundamental principle within that. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, for example, 
that, that we do in our centres when clients start their Pilates journey with us is we ask them to put down what their goals are. And mm-hmm. it's quite interesting to look at what people put down as what their goals are versus what Pilates can actually achieve at times. Um, what's your sort of, what's your experience of the value or the importance of setting goals and has that been able to be translated at all to you as a Pilates teacher and the people that you're taking through your programs? Yeah, massively. And it's still changing all the time. Like the way that I set goals now is so, so different. And I'm having to almost relearn that process to work out what way it works for me. Um, When I was young, you know, the goal, it was always, I'm going to beat this person or I want to win. Or, you know, it was very materialistic and very like, clear cut and if it didn't happen it was just like ah that's really frustrating try again or you know (laughs) very simplistic mindset then as I started making teams it was like right I've got this qualifying time to do and I've got to win so there was like a twofold to these goals and then you get to a point where as I mentioned you go from like dropping 10 seconds to now being like within 10 seconds of your time you know you're looking for the marginal gains so sometimes the numbers you don't try and focus too much on the numbers it's actually well how do you get there and we call that process goals so we race the same race over and over again but it's like well how are you racing that race to improve it it's not just a matter of just going in and swimming fast there's certain elements to it you know whether it's okay i'm going to make sure that I'm going to have maybe a longer stroke on the first half of the race so that I can then have a higher stroke rate at the end so that I've got better finishing speed or I'm not going to breathe in the last 10 meters because I'm more hydrodynamic with my head down or off the turns, I'm going to do three or four or fly kicks. And it wasn't until actually I, um, th- th- there's a couple of moments actually I could tell you loads of stories, but there's probably two key moments for me in this. In 2016 in Rio, um, I... Swam so the Olympic final for the 400 IM. I won't go too much into this sort of whole detail of the story, but I missed an Olympic medal by 15 hundredths of a second. Oof. And for me, <laughs> it tends to be the, uh, the, uh, the, the noise that people make. Yeah. Uh, and it was, and it was brutal. And the funny thing was, when I touched and looked at the scoreboard, it, it is actually the fastest part of any person's race, touching the wall and then looking immediately at the scoreboard. <laughs> Um, and I saw on the scoreboard the time that I'd done, you know, it was the fastest time I'd ever produced at an Olympic mm-hmm. final. And I was so chuffed and so happy. And then the scoreboard readjusts to who comes first, second, third and all that. And I saw the number four next to my name. And not only was it fourth, as I say, 15 hundredths of a second, get a stopwatch and try and start stop at yeah, 15 hundredths. Yeah. Like there's not much in it. And all of a sudden that feeling of elation just was shot with sheer disappointment. Because I have written down in a little logbook that I had from like 12 saying, you know, short-term, long-term, mid-term goals. And my long-term was to go to Olympic Games, stand on the podium in brackets, preferably with a gold medal around my neck. That was it from like the age of 12. And I felt like that was my last opportunity to do it. And it felt like I'd failed. I hadn't done it. You know, and it was like going from being really happy with my time to now being absolutely devastated from my swim. And I was left in this real horrible limbo took me a couple of years to kind of overcome and really process and think about the swim and the reality hit me in that success comes in so many different forms so how we set our goals is what we want obviously our success to look like but success can come from more than what that goal outcome is it can actually be the little wins and the little steps going along the way so for me I had to change my mindset of being like I missed a medal it's like well actually I'm fourth in the world Mm. (laughs) it's not 
<laughs> and I didn't need this medal to prove that I was a good enough person because I thought, well, I committed myself to it. I was 27 at the time and I thought not many 27 year olds get to compete at the Olympic level. Yeah. So it was having to be quite rational with my thinking. So going on to the sort of next four years, I ended up having ankle surgery and the ankle surgery took me out of the water for a little bit. And I was really struggling with my mindset getting back into racing. I thought, I don't want to race. I'm going to swim really slow because I've had the surgery done, but the expectation for people to, you know, Hannah Miley, she always swims fast and they're going to be like, why is she swimming really slow? So I raised my race and I thought before I started, I was like, I just want two process outcomes. I want to be able to do at least two fly kicks off each turn because my ankle surgery, that's what I've been working towards. And the last one was don't breathe in the last 10 meters. So I stopped, touched the wall once I finished. And instead of looking at the time, I gave myself a moment to reflect. And I was like, right, goal one, did I achieve that? Yeah, I was like, I actually did. I achieved two, just two fly kicks, which is like tiny compared to the number of kicks I normally do off each turn. And I thought, okay, that's good. And then the second one, did I not breathe? Yeah, I didn't breathe in the last 10 meters. Right. I looked and I looked at the time and time was like 45 seconds slower than what I normally did, but it didn't matter. I still felt I had achieved it. Mm -hmm. So when you're given those goals in the outset for it, it's not just a matter of here's the outcome. It's like, well, how are we going to get there? And actually celebrating the little steps taken because sometimes the little steps might not take us right to that goal. It might take us somewhere a little bit obscure because life throws stuff at you. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and also, yeah. It depends what that goal outcome is. Um, and we don't have control over those things, yeah. but we have control of those little steps. <laughs> Also, sometimes we don't see progression because we're constantly working forwards that actually we don't realize how much better we have been. Um, you know, it, that time that I did in Rio, had I done that the year before, I'd have been delighted. <laughs> but the following year, you know, I wanted more from it. So it's trying to get that balance of, yes, you've got that goal. It can be a really like quite strong and tough goal, but it's the process of how you get to it, you know, and it's the celebrating the small little wins. So it might not seem like much, but actually appreciate those small little steps. Um, yeah. And I finished again, that mindset's having to change. So for me, it's, you know, trying to get my admin done. Yeah. <laughs> and if I don't get it done in one day, it's like, okay, don't be hard on myself. It's going to maybe take two days to do it. So I think it's trying to have that rational self-thought. Um, I still haven't quite figured it out. I'm still reworking on it. But you've got the is it the smart uh, goal setting with mm -hmm. like specific measurable, um, you know, accountability, time and rationale. Um, and I think is, you know, having these goals are great. I, I always used to be told, you know, shoot for the moon. And if you miss, you'll land amongst the stars. Uh, you know, it's being mindful that, you know, you can aim for it. No harming an aim for it. But it's coping with if you don't reach it, still appreciate what you've done yeah. um kind of the key message with any goal that you set uh, and yeah. if you the moon great celebrate it but if you, if you miss still celebrate the other little bits going get to that point because it's still a long journey and a tough one to do yeah absolutely and i mean look <laughs> i would also say that when you say not many 27 year olds have uh, finished fourth in the olympics i think i'd have to say not many 27 year olds get to the olympics in the first place let alone <laughs> actually get get to fourth um so uh, yes but success is one of those things isn't it and goal setting um each little step towards that success is its own success and i think yeah. you know we, we sometimes can 
view success or, or a goal achieved by somebody else's potential view of what that might be rather than defining one's own success rather than being defined by an external success. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's uh, uh, an ongoing process for everyone in terms yeah. of, of setting their goals. But I guess the uh, discussion here from a sort of Pilates podcast point of view is that setting goals for your clients is great, but the view I guess should be the client needs to set those goals rather than a teacher trying to set predetermined goals for somebody um, because those goals are, are very personal and very different. And, um, you know, I, I think they do have to, we have to be realistic about what Pilates can achieve, right? Pilates is brilliant, but yeah. it isn't the only thing people should be doing and they should be doing many other forms of movement and exercise and what have you. And I think part of being a, a, you know, a reasoned and a well trained and, and, and a good Pilates teacher or, or mentor or whatever it might be is the concept that Pilates is brilliant, but Pilates should be part of an overall package of somebody's life and lifestyle um, yeah, and not overstating on the goals what Pilates can achieve because it is brilliant and, <laughs> and it is, you know, been my life now and, 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 you know, we are where we are today largely due to Pilates coming into my life, but everyone should be looking at it from it's part of what a healthy lifestyle is. And all of that leads to that, that end goal success. It's not solely down to one thing. Yeah. The, the reason I got to the Olympics, as much as I'd love to say it was solely due to Pilates, it was more, it was still an important part, but it, it came with the package. And for me, the support of my Pilates teacher, Alison, was huge yeah. um, because we all need support when we go through that journey, getting towards that goal. Um, and yeah, and it was that complemented so well with what I was doing with the land work, so my strength and conditioning, and in the pool. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, have, I, I hazard a guess that maybe more than just Pilates getting you to the Olympics <laughs> is that steadfast <laughs> determination and the <laughs> zillion miles up and down that pool you must have done from a very early age. But um, look, Anna, it's been an absolute delight uh, meeting you, albeit virtually, and speaking to you. Um, somebody of your young years and from I can say that from where I am um, you certainly come across as an extremely learned person in how people can try to um, achieve whatever they want to achieve whatever level that might be but certainly taking your experience of where you've been at that highest of levels um, and imparting that knowledge to everyone is a real credit to you so we wish you all the very uh, you know all the success that I'm, I'm sure is coming your way both from a professional level um you know i'd be absolutely delighted to see what you can actually do in terms of bringing pilates into that elite sporting level uh, i've been into the eis myself and put some programs in place but actually having somebody from inside advocating this might be might be pretty amazing but um look before we go one thing i i would like to just say is how can people connect with you follow you learn more about what you're doing uh wherever you, you know, give us your location people can reach out, yep. support you, join your classes? What? How, <laughs> how do they learn more about you and what you're doing now? Uh, so I hail from the northeast of Scotland, uh, a little town called Blackburn, uh, just up from Aberdeen. Um, so it's probably quite far away from maybe the majority of people who listen, but I, I am quite active on my Instagram page. I do try and post pictures and videos, little bits that are quite personal to me. You can watch some of my floating videos on there as well. Um, and I do try and 
uh, put up little bits as well with my dogs again, because goal setting and learning actually how to do trick training with my dogs has taught me an awful lot. Um, and I, my, I think my handle on that is at smiley triple eight nine um because hannah miley was already taken by a hannah montana miley cyrus fan <laughs> i'm also on twitter i'm a little bit quieter on twitter i do find it for me i'm more of a visual person um grammar and english for me i've always struggled with but i do try and put little points of view across uh, but i also you know I'm, i am on it so if anybody prefers twitter and wants to reach out to me on that feel free and that is at hannah miley 89 I think the majority of my followers on there are Hannah Montana Miley Cyrus fans. So it'd be nice <laughs> to followers that are <laughs> sport related. Um, so yeah, so those are the two platforms that I mainly go off. I am trying to get a website set up that covers um, some of the mentoring programs, the female health workshops and some of the Pilates stuff that I'm doing. Um, not got quite that up and running, but hopefully Instagram and Twitter, I will put the website up on there when it's ready. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Wishing you all the very best and thank you for giving us your insight here on Pilates 101. Thank you so much for having me. Well, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed our little chat there with Hannah. I certainly did. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to a GB Olympian and somebody that has performed at the top of her game for so long. It's great to have her in the Pilates community now, and I'm excited to see what she can achieve in terms of hopefully bringing Pilates even more to the forefront um, within her sport of swimming or maybe beyond it. Who knows? I, I get the feeling that Hannah is one of those people that will achieve amazing things no matter what phase of her career she's in. Well, that's it, guys. That was our feature focus for this month. I hope you enjoyed that. My name's Glenn Withers. This is Pilates 101, and I hope you'll join us next time. Bye for now.